everyone, and welcome to BCL Coast to Coast, the official podcast of the Basketball Champions League. My name is Austin Green. We've got a good show for you today. We're going to talk about our picks for the star lineups from the BCL season, first and second team. And the Basketball Champions League CEO, Patrick Komninos, is joining us on the show later to talk about a great third season of the BCL. He was here from the beginning, uh, helped build this league from the ground up. So it was really cool to talk to Patrick about the Final Four coming up in Antwerp, uh, some of the things he's learned over the past three seasons as the head of the BCL, and plenty of other things as well. Joining me for all that over in Germany is David Hein. Dave, how's it going this week? Yeah, good. Uh, I guess uh, Champions League, uh, Basketball Champions League withdrawal. Uh, but uh, yeah, can't wait for the, the Final Four. Uh, but we obviously do have some uh, Final Four, uh, some Basketball Champions League talk. Uh, it was cool to have a chance to, to talk to uh, Patrick Caminos, the, the 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 CEO of the league, and uh, I look forward to uh, to letting the listeners and uh, uh, get a chance to hear what uh, one of the most important men behind the scenes has to say about it. Yeah, absolutely. So remember, the final four for the Basketball Champions League is May third and May fifth, with the semifinals on May third. First up is going to be Bologna versus Bamberg. That's going to be amazing. Second game, the hosts, Telenet Giants Antwerp, hosting the 2017 champions, Tenerife. And of course, the winners of those two games will play in the final on Sunday. There's also going to be a third place game on Sunday. So definitely check that out. Make sure you go to the official website, championsleague.basketball, for everything you need to get you ready for the Final Four. There's going to be articles going up. Deacon Lloyd-Smith is working on closer looks for all four of these teams. There's one up now about Tenerife, where he kind of breaks down uh, what they bring to the table, their style, what we can expect to see from them in the Final Four. So definitely go check all of that out. Also, you can vote now on the guards and the forwards for the star lineups from the 2018-19 Basketball Champions League season. Voting for the centers will go up on Sunday. So the way that the star lineups are decided, it's a combination of votes from the media, from coaches, and from fans. So go vote for your favorite players from the BCL season. Dave and I will go through our star lineups right now. All right, Dave. This was really tough. Once I actually opened up the voting pages, once I pulled up some stats trying to decide who to pick for these various positions, you get two guards, two forwards, one center, and I was amazed at the amount of quality players that were left off of these two teams as I went through this exercise. I tended to reward winning. It's, it's an award for the entire season. Uh, you know, basically first team all champions league, second team all champions league. So the regular season certainly counts, but I leaned toward teams that won, teams that got far in the competition, either to the quarterfinals or to the final four. So I, I, that was a big factor for me. Um, but let's let's start it off with you. We'll we'll stick with the guards. Who were your first team guards and your second team guards? I guess I would probably say that I went with winning guards as well. Uh, I went with uh, Tyrese Rice and Paris Lee. Uh, you know Rice. You know Rice was uh, the man down the stretch of a lot of games. Uh, you know we 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 you know over the course of the season we talked about how many. Uh, big fourth quarters he's had, you know, game-winning shots. Uh, obviously, he played such a huge role in getting Bumberg to 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 the final four. Um, and you you saw there was a uh, a missing quality when he missed a couple of those games. Um, I you know I, I don't think anybody has a problem with with Tyrese being Tyrese Rice being one of the best players of the uh of the season uh and the other one i went with paris lee uh the fact that uh you know he was the the most important man um you know you you look at uh you look at that group uh that they went through um and all the guards that he had to face and challenge on a on a week in week out basis uh being the leader of that team the young leader of a young team um, and was able to put up numbers and, and also, you know, doing a good job of, of limiting some of the, the, the guard work that the other guards had. Yeah. That, those are the two I went with, uh, who do you, who do you have? <laughs> like, like you said, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of guys to choose from. 
Yeah, a lot of choices, but I actually went the exact same way with my first team guards, Tyrese Rice and Paris Lee. I was initially trying to decide between the two, uh, just because they're both point guards, they both have the ball in their hands all the time. Uh, so it felt natural to put one as first team, one as second team. I initially had Tyrese Rice because of what you mentioned about you know, the late game heroics, some of the scoring explosions he's had, getting up over 30 points a couple times. He had 33 in the first game of the season, uh, 32 in the round of 16 against Banvid, of course, hitting that dagger shot against Ike to put them in the final four. He finished with 16.6 points per game, which was about three points more than Paris Lee. But when you look at the assist totals, Paris Lee, slightly more assists, way fewer turnovers. He also led the league in steals. That has to count for something. You know, Lee is a really, really excellent defensive player. Rice, not so much. Um, so I was initially going Tyrese Rice and then Paris Lee, and then I flipped him. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to scratch out Kevin Punter. I'm going to put both of these guys on the first team. So I went with Paris Lee and Tyrese Rice as well for my first team guards. And for the second team, so I went with two shooting guards. Uh, I went with Kevin Punter from Virtus Bologna, helped them get to the final four, 15 points per game. He was excellent to start the season, then had a bit of a, a downswing, I guess you could say, uh, for a few games there. But then he stepped up again in the quarterfinals at home against Nanterre, had an amazing game. So I went with Kevin Punter for second team. And joining him as my second team guard, I went with James Feldin, fifth leading scorer in the league at 16.4 points per game, uh, was the best player from a really, really tough Hapoel Jerusalem team who maybe could have gotten into the final four if they had played anybody other than Tenerife in the quarterfinals. Uh, so I went with those two as my second team, Kevin Punter and James Feldin. Who did you choose for this, Dave? Uh, I went with Punter as well, and uh, I actually ended up going with with uh, with uh, Tamir Blatt. Uh, I know he kind of struggled in the uh, in the quarterfinals uh, against Tenerife, but really that was the only kind of time when he really wasn't able to shine. And uh, I also I I had Jason Rich. Uh, written down and and then uh just because you know for for you know a good uh you know i don't know what was it four or five weeks you know Besiktas was one of the hottest teams and he was you know just lighting it up uh but i just think the number of games where he really dominated the league i guess we can almost say just wasn't enough and and uh you know of course you you know that if he has if he's playing you know maybe they have a chance to to get to the uh to get to the maybe even the final four you know as well as that team was playing with him uh but i ended up going with uh, punter and uh blatt uh feldin was was close but then i uh i, I ended up blatt was actually my my first uh, the first guy I wrote down on the second team, and then I, I went with Rich, Rich originally, and then went over to 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 punter. I just thought that you know he was really such a huge weapon for them. Uh, also hitting you know big shots. You, know, you think the Strasbourg game, you know, okay, he missed the two shots late, but uh, I think punter definitely deserves to be on that second team. Yeah, definitely. I had a similar thought process with Rich where, like you said, he dominated the league for a good four or five, maybe even six weeks there when Besiktas were reeling off wins. But he he wasn't there at the very start of the season. Also, his injury was a, was a big reason why they lost to Nanterre in the round of 16. Of course, that's not his fault. But um, I, I, I thought... Similar with uh, Jason Rich as I did about Kendrick Perry, who I also considered for this, where, mm -hmm. you know, the, yeah. the old saying that the best ability is availability. And when Kendrick Perry was on the floor, he was amazing, but he missed some games in the regular season. Um, unfortunately, he wasn't able to compete in the second leg of the quarterfinals against Antwerp. Uh, so I had to bump Kendrick Perry. That was, he was my first uh, omission from the team, from the second team. Uh, of course, Tamir Blatt had a great season. And also, quick shout out to Ryan Brown from Prometheus, who was amazing in the regular season, 
Prometheus, of course, were knocked out by Tenerife in the round of 16, but Ryan Brown has a great future ahead of him. He had a really incredible season, 15 points per game. That was good for seventh in the league. Um, also plays incredible defense, great energy, great hustle, really embodied what that Prometheus team was all about this season. So shout out to Ryan Brown uh, for also being in the mix there. Um, and one other guy I wanted to give a quick shout out to was Jeremy Singlin, who uh, I don't think had the resume across the entire season to to get onto one of these teams. And it, it would be really tough to jump over the guys that we mentioned. Uh, but Singlin was was really excellent for the most part uh, when Nanterre needed him most in the playoffs with Dominic Waters going down. Singlin really stepped up. Um, so I, I just listed off basically everyone there, Dave. Uh, is, is there anybody else you wanted to give a quick shout out to? No, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, this was, you look at the list and you just see the guard quality that was, you know, really up and down, uh, this, uh, this league and you really have to be impressed. Yeah, some incredible guards in the Basketball Champions League, no doubt about that. Let's move on to the forwards. Uh, some good choices here. Dave, I'll let you go first. I think I, I probably could guess who you're going with, but I'll uh, I'll let you go ahead. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, Hunt, you know, Vince Hunter, definitely he was the first guy I wrote down. You know, I really, uh, I don't think there's, uh, you know, if this is, you know, even if it's just, the, quote, just the regular season, but even you put in the... Uh, you put in the the postseason as well, the playoffs. Uh, you know, he, he really solidified his his spot. Even if you include the playoffs, you know, he, he kind of struggled in that first game against Bumberg, but then really came out really well uh, and, and played a great game. And the return leg just wasn't enough. Uh, but I mean, Hunter was a dominant all season. Um, and my, you know, look if I <laughs> if. I mentioned him as one of the most underrated players all season. And if I, you know, I'm sticking to my guns and I'm putting Tashawn Thomas in here as well, because, uh, you know, he, he was there all year and, uh, you know, you, you, you know, he did, uh, he, he put up his production every week. Um, you know, okay. Of course there was all the, that star power, but you know, he was, he was just there, at both ends and, and really just, just kind of chugging along as the, as the, as the quiet man in this, in this uh, star studded lineup. But uh, for me, definitely deserves to be in the uh, all-star in the, uh, in the all-star lineup. So who do you got? Let's hear it. All right. So like you, I went with Vince Hunter. I thought he was clearly the MVP from the regular season when he was just completely dominant every week. And Ike were uh, one of the top teams from the regular season, and they were clearly so reliant on him. You know, some of these other teams like Bologna, uh, Jerusalem, Tenerife had a lot more balance than Ike this season, whereas Ike needed Vince Hunter to have a huge game basically every time that they went out there. And he really delivered. Uh, you mentioned in the playoffs. In the round of 16 against Pauk, he had 20 and 12 in the first leg uh, to, to put Ike in a good position there. <clears throat> and then, like you mentioned, struggled against Bomberg, but in the second leg, 19 points, 11 rebounds. Uh, maybe, like I said uh, on our recap podcast of the quarterfinals, maybe if he got the ball on that final possession, he could have uh, went up strong and put Ike in a position to win that game and go to the final four. Unfortunately, he didn't get a touch, but Vince Hunter was amazing. Uh, the league's leading scorer at 18 points per game, third in rebounds at 8.1 rebounds per game, shot the ball really well, 66% uh, from, from on two point field goals. So really just incredible season by Hunter statistically. And then that the stats don't account for his hustle, his energy, his heart, uh, everything that he brought to the, to the table for Ike. So I think he definitely. Has I think to be on I think there. the unofficial the unofficial uh, uh, court burn leader. Absolutely, absolutely. And then for my second forward spot on the first team, this was a really difficult decision. There were a lot of great options. I went with Tim Abramidis from Tenerife. Uh, I felt like I had to get somebody from Tenerife on the first team here, and you know the way he stepped up in the quarterfinals when his team needed him most was, was pretty amazing. If you look at his numbers, he doesn't have, uh, he doesn't have some of the, the 
giant point totals that some of these other guys have. He finished with 11.3 points per game, 5.3 rebounds, but he shot the ball really well all season long, uh, 46% from the three-point line, 50% on twos. And in the quarterfinals against Jerusalem, he had in the first leg 16 points, eight rebounds, and then in the second leg 21 points, nine rebounds. He was MVP of the quarterfinals. Really, uh, you know, gave Tenerife an extra boost there to get them to the final four. So for me, it was between Tashawn Thomas and Tim Abramidis for that last uh, for that second forward spot. I went with Abramidis just kind of based on the quarterfinal results, but uh, I definitely, you know, I, I see the argument for Tashawn Thomas. He had an amazing year. Looking at my second team, we'll start it off with Thomas. Almost 12 points a game, six and a half rebounds. He led the league in block shots. He led the league in two-point field goal percentage at 71%. Like It's amazing when you go to the Champions League website and you start clicking through all of the stats. It's really incredible how many of those that Tashawn Thomas pops up in the top 5, 10, 15 of of basically every category. Uh, So an incredible all-around season from him. And then... Filling out my second team uh, forward spot, I went with Augustine Rubit from Broza Bomberg. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the BCL. He was incredibly consistent all season long. He ended up averaging 14 points per game, six rebounds, shot the ball well, and was just a constant, reliable presence for Bomberg. You knew what he was going to bring to the table every game. Uh, so I, I went with Rubit and Thomas as my second team. Who do you have for your second team forwards, Dave? Uh, I I went with uh, Rubit. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, again, like you mentioned, really one of the most underrated guys as well. Uh, but uh, extremely consistent and uh, really just a huge part of that team. Uh, and you know, I was, I was playing with uh, Abramidis the the idea of putting him in there, and uh, you know, he just didn't have uh, you know fantastic uh, quarterfinals without a doubt. Uh, but there were just too many games where he, where he just wasn't wasn't needed, I guess, or 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 you know wasn't uh, used, I guess. You know, they, you know that was a team that really, um, you know, just had had you know a guy step up, you know, maybe once or twice a season, and and you know he 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 didn't have he had he had some really great games, obviously the great quarterfinals as well. But uh, I went with. Uh, uh, Ahmed Mbe from from uh, Bologna. I just thought that I just thought that he was, you know, just a a huge you know consistent uh, performer all season. Um, you know, and and you know the 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 forwards that are there. He had a, he did a really good job. Um, and you know you saw that there was the recognition of that him going over to the French national team as well for the world cup qualifiers. And, um, yeah, so I, I went with, with a bay. I just, you know, okay, I see here, you know, two, uh, Bologna players on the second team, on my second team. But, uh, you know, I think both of those guys, uh, over the course of the season definitely deserve to be on there. And I think that's a team that also deserves to have two guys for the way they, you know, they came out guns a blazing, fought through that, you know, uh, return leg where people had a chance to, you know, break him down a little bit, and you know, both punter and and by were there to to really help keep that team, uh, you know, atop that group. Yeah, definitely. And Mathembai was another guy who I really considered strongly uh, for that spot. A couple other guys who didn't quite make the cut for me uh, from the forward position. Jay Sean Tate had a good season for Antwerp. Definitely deserves some consideration. Uh, Dusan Sakota, who's actually not available on the voting online as one of the top 10 guys uh i thought i thought sakota had a really strong season so i would have uh definitely considered him there um anybody else who you wanted to give a shout out to at the forward spots you know mercia had a had a you know obviously great uh regular season and uh you know they have Ovisoko in there and you know he was uh you know really one of the rocks for them and uh, I think uh, I think uh, you know not just Mercia fans, but other team, other fans can you know would not go wrong necessarily in in uh, in putting him out there as well. All right, let's move on to the big guys at the center position. Dave, who is your first team? Uh, your first team center for the star lineup. Um, you know, I, I went with uh, Jordan Morgan. You know, they they uh, they ended up getting knocked out at the the round of sixteen. 
Uh, but you know, they they ended up losing by what was I think four? Was that the uh, the aggregate uh, score? Two tight games, and you know there was the uh, you know let's say controversial and whatever you know. But uh, you you look at uh, Morgan, you know, produced all year. Uh, and in those, you know, in the against Bomberg, he had two double doubles and, you know, pretty, pretty good, solid double doubles, 15 and 12 and 23 and 14. So you really can't uh, put it on him at all that they that they didn't go f- uh, reach the quarterfinals. And, you know, he was, you know, great all season. Um, and I'm going to go with him, even though they didn't uh, reach the even reach the quarterfinals. but especially because of the round of 16, the two legs that he put together. That's why I'm going to, uh, if you take into account uh, his entire regular season, uh, that's why I chose him, uh, even though the team didn't reach the quarterfinals. Who do you got? Yeah, this was a really tough one for me to choose because uh, the guys who were the best centers all year long just didn't didn't advance very far. Like you mentioned with Morgan, uh, incredible statistical season, was great in the regular season, really strong in the playoffs, but eliminated in the round of 16 against Bomberg, no shame in that. And then some of the guys who you would consider, you know, Jere Grant had an amazing year. Uh, Mitchell Watt had a pretty strong regular season. So, uh, and then, and then some of the guys who are available just really came on late in the year. Um, so for me, it was a tough decision. I actually ended up going with Ishmael Baco from Antwerp as my first team center. Uh, he wasn't, uh, didn't have a huge impact at the beginning of the season, but he had some really strong flashes, I guess you could say in the first like five or six weeks of the season against Bomberg had a game where he had 25 points, 12 of 14 from the field. Uh, and then in the second half of the season is when he really picked up his production. Just looking at his game log from the second half of the season, 12 points, 12, 15, 15, 15, 19, 12, 15, 14 against Nizhny in the first leg of the quarterfinals. And then in the second leg of the quarterfinals against Nizhny, he only had two points, but they didn't necessarily need him in that game because they had built such a big lead in the first leg. And in that game, even though he only scored two points, he did have five block shots. So I went with Baco. Uh, I think, you know, uh, solid numbers, 11.7 points, 6.4 rebounds per game. But I think also just his energy was really crucial to this Antwerp team. I think he just kind of set the tone with uh, the way he would fly in there for these alley-oop dunks. I think that would really get the team going, give them a lot of confidence that's kind of hard to quantify. Uh, and also, when you look at his plus-minus, um, you know, plus-minus isn't everything. It can be a little bit deceiving. Uh, but basically, no negative games on his on his resume in the plus-minus. When he was on the floor, Antwerp were outplaying the other team like simple as that so I went with Ishmael Baco for my first team and then for my second team I considered Morgan because he had a great great year overall um, I, th- I think if he had some more help around him maybe or if they had drawn a different matchup then uh, you know then maybe they advanced to the quarterfinals or the final four and I would put him on here but for my second team I went with Colton Iverson a bit of recency bias here. He didn't have the greatest regular season. There were uh, quite a few games where he was kind of invisible uh, or, or got outplayed by a more athletic center. But in the stretch run of the season, when it mattered most, I think he was really excellent, um, especially you know that first quarterfinal leg against Jerusalem where he just completely dominated with 20 points, 12 rebounds, and uh, and just you know kept kept Tenerife close enough. And then in the second leg, he was solid again, 11 points, nine rebounds, some really crucial buckets to help Tenerife get over the top. So I went with Ishmael Baco first team, Colton Iverson second team. Uh, Dave, who is your second team center? Yeah, I went with Iverson. I guess almost not only, but also a big factor in that uh, getting him then there over Baco was the fact that I didn't have uh, Abramitis on on either of my teams, so we needed to. Uh, I needed to get somebody uh, on from from Tenerife, so I, I went with Iverson. Not that he's not not deserving, um, and uh, you know, I I really I really enjoyed that. Um, the energy that that Baco brought, um, and I again, I know that I know that the you know Iverson 
didn't maybe have the consistency over the entire season. Um, but again, this is, this is kind of like that, the way that team works, uh, you know, the same thing we said with, with Eremitis. Um, but I think then you, you look at, there were enough games, in my opinion, there were enough games where he did play a really big role. He had a great, he had phenomenal postseason playoffs. So, uh, that really helped get him, let's say, over the hump uh, in, in being taken instead of uh, Baku. Baku really had a great sort of second half uh, of the of the regular season, and then had a strong playoffs. Uh, but I just thought Iverson was um, just did a little bit more, uh, and then also the fact that we I, I I really wanted to get somebody from Tenerife in my team, so I ended up going with uh, Iverson over Baku for my second team. Yeah, I don't have any any issues with that. It was a it was a really tough decision. I think all three of those guys were kind of the top tier for me with Baco Iverson and Jordan Morgan. Uh, some other guys, uh, you know, Jere Grant, like I mentioned, had a great regular season with Neptunus, but they weren't able to make the playoffs. Not necessarily his fault because he had a great season. They were in uh, a really tough group there in Group D. Um, I, I actually I thought Vince Hunter should have been listed as a center for official voting purposes. He's listed as a forward. Uh, but I would have liked to put Vince Hunter as my first team center, uh, and then that would have freed up some of the forward spots. Uh, but yeah, what can you do? Um, Dave, anybody else you want to give a shout out to, uh, at the center position? No, I just, I I think that, uh, you know, we, we saw all year that, um, the, the quality of, of, of this league. And, and I think that, uh, deservedly so it was it was tough to to figure out you know who you think is your you know is your is your top guy and um you know that it it shouldn't be a surprise if you go and and say you know objectively not necessarily fan you know bias but objectively go through and and say well yeah you could take him over him and you know that that just shows that there's a you know, there's a good depth of, of quality at, really at every position. Um, and, and so I think that, uh, you know, yeah, I think those three probably also because those guys, uh, 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 you know, went further, you know, okay, Banvit didn't reach the, the, the quarterfinals, but they made the postseason. So, uh, yeah, uh, it'd be interesting to, to see. It'll be interesting to see, you know, who the fans slash coaches and media pick. Uh, but I think I think we're okay with with who we who we chose. Yeah, incredible depth of talent in this league. A lot of tough choices, but I, I'm I'm comfortable with what we got. So just for clarity's sake, my first team star lineup for the basketball champions league: Paris Lee, Tyrese Rice, Tim Abramidis, Vince Hunter, and Ishmael Baco. Dave, what was your first team again? I went with uh, Tyrese Rice, Paris Lee, Vince Hunter, and then Tashawn Thomas and Jordan Morgan. All right, and my second team, I've got Kevin Punter, James Feldine, Tashawn Thomas, Augustine Rubit, and Colton Iverson. And Dave, your second team? I have Tamir Blatt, Kevin Punter, Augustine Rubit, Ahmed Mbai, and Colton Iverson. All right, so that'll do it for our discussion of the Basketball Champions League star lineups. Next week, we'll talk about our MVP, Coach of the Year, Best Young Player, and maybe we'll make up a couple other awards to throw in there as well. Coming up next, the Basketball Champions League CEO, Patrick Comninos. This guy has been here from the start, helping build this league from the ground up. Uh, it's just a baby, only three seasons old, uh, but it's been an amazing run so far. Like we just mentioned, some incredible talent. In this league, the games have been really fun to watch. The final four coming up in Antwerp is going to be amazing. So stay tuned to hear about what Patrick has to say. Dave and I will catch you on the other side of the interview to wrap things up. So uh, on the show this week, we have Patrick Comninos, the CEO of the Basketball Champions League. Uh, Patrick, thank you very much for, for coming on the show. My pleasure. Um, we've reached the, uh, final four, the third final four of the basketball champions league. And, uh, this year's edition is being played in Antwerp. You've been to the Belgian city recently and, uh, have a uh, check in on the, on the preparations. Uh, how are things looking for the big show coming up at the, uh, sport, uh, sport palais arena, uh, from May 3rd to the 5th. Exactly. No, you're absolutely correct in terms of our focus over the next uh, weeks. It is the final four on the first weekend of May with 
what we believe is a, is a great lineup. We have four teams representing four different countries from Italy, from Germany, from Spain, and the hosts from Belgium. So uh, we believe that that alone adds uh, a level of uh, internationality to our event that is in line with everything that we do during the regular season. Uh, Antwerp is proving to be a, a great destination for us, but also uh, an important bet, if I may, I may deem it or label it that way, in the sense that we are not going to a traditional basketball country like we did in our first edition with Spain or with our second edition in, uh, in Athens, Greece, but we are going to a destination where, where basketball is important, but it is not the number one or two uh, sports. So to be able to attract people, uh, to fill up uh, uh, an impressive arena like the Sport Palais that has a capacity of uh, seven, 17,500, for us it is a big bet because it demonstrates that uh, our event has appeal, has interest and, and generates attractiveness to uh, neutral fans as a sporting event on its own merit. So for us, it's a very exciting uh, period in view of uh, hosting the final four in, in, a, in a few weeks' time. Uh, Bel Belgium has hosted some big events in the past, uh, but really not much in the past decade or so. Maybe um, what what impact do you think Antwerp reaching the final four and, and now hosting it uh, can have bas can have on basketball, uh, both in Antwerp and in Belgium? No, we believe that this is also in line with our overall uh, strategy. Uh, part of our DNA is to develop the game, is to encourage clubs to grow, and we believe that uh, our partnership with the club of Antwerp, uh, with the federation, with the league that is also a shareholder uh, of the Basketball Champions League, is in line uh, with this. Uh, we believe that it will allow people to, uh, to watch uh, basketball games of high quality. Uh, it will encourage fans to start following the Belgian league and the Belgian clubs more closely. Uh, it is the first time, uh, at least in our short history, that a Belgian club reaches uh, even the playoffs of the competition. So the fact that they have gone all the way to the Final Four is a great, uh, let's say, Cinderella story, uh, but one that uh, we are certain will, uh, will elevate the interest uh, of basketball into, into Belgium, something that uh, over the last months has been happening consistently, and now it culminates with the hosting of the Final Four. Yeah, Patrick, personally, before you came to the Basketball Champions League, you were working with UEFA, where you were in charge of club and national team operations, and then you were also the director of Olympic football at uh, the 2004 Olympics. How did that experience with football help you uh, prepare for this project with the BCL? Yeah. I think what, what both of these events that, that you mentioned uh, taught us is, is the sense uh, of operations uh, and delivery at a very high standard. Uh, I think what UEFA has created over the last uh, decade is uh, a uniformity in all the, the venues, uh, a level of branding, uh, of attractiveness, of recognition, uh, that uh, when you turn the TV on, you automatically know that you're watching uh, a Champions League uh, football game. Uh, it allowed us to value the importance of uh, inclusiveness, of uh, giving opportunities to clubs from, from very different uh, countries and backgrounds to enter the different stages of the competition, to have a try uh, at qualifying at the final, four, at the regular season, the group stage, of the competition. So I think a lot of these both sporting values when it comes to uh, uh, making it accessible to all, but also in terms of the delivery, in terms of the operations, in terms of the uniformity, the support we provide to our clubs, all the documentation, the manuals, all of the elements that we bring on the table uh, is in line with what, uh, what uh, the other organizations that I had the opportunity and the, the privilege to work for uh, taught me and allowed me to, to bring some of that back into, into the world of the Basketball Champions League. Yeah, and you mentioned um, some of the similarities there. What, what have been some of the challenges unique to basketball and, and to the Basketball Champions League over the past few years? Well, I think I think the biggest challenge we have is that we operate in in a very fragmented uh, environment in European basketball. Uh, the the lack of uh, 
clarity when it comes to participation into European competitions, <laughs> the fact that there are different entities organizing uh, different competitions with different strategies and different philosophies when it comes to their promotion and to their marketing has created a confusion when it comes to your average fan, when it comes to the sponsor, when it comes to the TV uh, market, which is something that, uh, at least in football, they have been able uh, to develop a product that is all under one umbrella that has very clear guidelines. Uh, everybody knows that, for instance, the champion of uh, the top-ranked countries will participate directly into the group stage of the Champions League. The second place will go into the qualification rounds. So all of this essence of clarity um, allows uh, everyone to have a good understanding and also allows for a proper promotion of the domestic competition since uh, finishing at the top uh, creates the opportunity to participate in Europe. In basketball, it's a little bit different. Uh, and this is something that has definitely uh, proven to be a challenge in terms of trying to explain to the marketplace uh, what is happening with the Basketball Champions League, but in the overall context of European club basketball. But I believe that we have been able to demonstrate um, our core values to support our decisions uh, about rewarding exclusively the results on the court and about promoting a competition that prides itself on, on being inclusive. We had 15 different countries represented this season uh, into our group phase. We have had more than 100 clubs uh, register with us and participate over the last three seasons. So all of that uh, allows us to feel comfortable that what we're doing, it, we're doing it the right way and in the right direction. Yeah, and we're in the third season of the Basketball Champions League now. It seems like, you know, every time we talk to a player who has played in multiple editions of the competition, they talk about how the competitiveness uh, has continued to grow. Uh, what, what have you seen in terms of growth from the league over the past few years, maybe both on and off the court? No, I think uh, it's always uh, a pleasure to hear these sort of comments from all participants, whether it is uh, administrators, coaches, or, or players of the clubs. I think um, competitiveness is something that is 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 controllable, but it's also uh, a little bit less to the to the rosters of the specific clubs. I think what has happened over the last years, we have had a lot of important clubs uh, with significant uh, history or tradition or desire to compete at the top level, participate in the Basketball Champions League, clubs like Bologna, clubs like Bamberg, uh, I'm mentioning two of the participants of the Final Four, clubs like Hapoel Jerusalem that have been for many, many years uh, in the EuroLeague environment. All these clubs, they bring uh, a level of experience and a level of high competitiveness into our competition that certainly elevates uh, uh, the overall standard. And then, of course, uh, the fact that we select uh, our clubs, uh, by virtue of their results in their domestic competitions, means that we try to attract uh, the best of the best uh, following their results of the domestic competition. And that obviously translates into better competitiveness on the court. And then what we have also seen is that the, the level of promotion that we offer to our clubs and to our players uh, via our social media, where, where there's an exceptional job being done in terms of uh, engagement in terms of promotion, in terms of customization uh, on the videos that we put up there uh, has allowed us to uh, to be the number one uh, basketball club competition in Europe on social media. We have almost 2 million followers on, on Facebook. So all of that allows us to both be competitive, but also uh, promote the competition at a very high standard. And I think that this is something that the players uh, have come to appreciate tremendously over the over the last seasons. You took over as BCL CEO uh, on August first, two thousand sixteen. Knowing what knowing what you know today from nearly three complete seasons, what would you change if you could go back three years ago to the start of the competition? <laughs> uh, hire more staff this year, um, but uh, no, it, it has been a fantastic ride. Um, I think the the things that I would change are probably the things that are impossible to change and i think that's why uh, they, they remain a challenge and it has to do with this uh, unique environment that exists in uh, in basketball in europe you know right now we're in the middle of april uh, we are starting a, a very unique 
period where clubs uh, all over Europe uh, are starting to examine the, their choices for European participation in the in the coming season, and we always have this unenviable uh, uh, discussion with clubs uh, trying to. Um, explain or convince about the, the quality of our competition. Uh, I come from an environment that all of these things are dealt with via the, re the regulatory system uh, through a very transparent process. We have installed a similar transparent process when it comes to accessing our competition, but we obviously have to operate within an environment that uh, is not in itself so so easy and so clear. So that is something that certainly... I would change, but this is something certainly that requires change in European basketball. And, and hopefully in the years to come, we will all be in a position to have a much, much better uh, understanding of, of what, is, uh, what is happening. I think this is for the benefit of the fans, of the sponsors and of the market, because I have said this many, many times, the market share that basketball uh, benefits from right now in Europe is, is significantly lower than what the true value should be and what the penetration impact and uh, uh, and viewership of basketball deserves. So that's something that all the stakeholders in the world of basketball uh, have to work towards. When the BCL started it, there was a certain level of criticism and skepticism. Uh, but actually, when, when, when you and I spoke uh, before the draw, uh, after the draw in Munich of the first draw, uh, you you talked about uh, there being a lot of hope and, and inspiration uh, going into this event. You you and the rest of the the, the leaders of this uh, of this league kind of went into this whole endeavor uh, with with certain ideals. Um, you know, we 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 talked about what uh, you know what you would like to you know or what you know may have changed. Uh, maybe what do you see as the biggest concern that still remains? I think you're you're bringing back some some memories of of three years ago that seemed like a century ago because obviously a lot has happened um, in the meantime. I think there was understandably skepticism towards this new endeavor. It's not very often that an entirely new competition uh, springs up into the into the marketplace. Usually, you have uh, reshaping, renaming, revamping, uh, different different elements that, that come together on existing competitions, but it's not very common to have an entirely new uh, uh, creation. So that alone uh, is by itself always met with skepticism. I think also in the past, FIBA had done some unsuccessful attempts at launching new competitions. So obviously there was a sense of apprehension, a sense of concern that is this going to be another uh, firework or does this have... Uh, a sustainable uh, process uh, linked to it. So I, I think three years later, we have proven uh, that uh, we're not just here. We're here to stay. We're here to grow. We're here to develop. Uh, we're here certainly to change the landscape of European club competitions and that uh, over the years to come, uh, we are certain to grow even more and to develop uh, even more. So for us, this is this is a very important uh, principle. Uh, I think we are now three years uh, wiser. We are still very young. Uh, I have always said that this is a marathon. It is certainly not a sprint, uh, and we are treating it as such. I think we have been very uh, good and very conscientious and very uh, diligent at uh, maintaining some of our core values from the outset. Uh, you know, the basketball environment is one where participation in European competitions until we arrived on the scene was very much linked to interpersonal relations. Um, I like you, you play. I don't like you where well, you sit on the bench uh, for a season or two. And this was very arbitrary. I think we came in, we put some clear guidelines, uh, who participates, under what conditions, always linking it to the sport results of the domestic competition, because again, the fact that uh, 11 uh, European leagues constitute our direct shareholding and all the leagues uh, are also involved, it means that our duty is to uh, promote and to strengthen the domestic competitions. And by giving access through the rankings of the domestic competitions in a, in a 
real uh, meritocratic approach, I think is in this direction. And this is part of our DNA. This was part of our ideals that we, we set out from the outset. Uh, at the beginning, there was also skepticism as to how we would be able to respect those, because again, as I said, in the world of basketball, this has not always been the case. Uh, but I think now more and more uh, clubs and leagues are realizing that this is the reality. And uh, I think our biggest satisfaction comes from the fact that now, as the playoffs approach in the different European leagues, we realize, we hear, we are told uh, that clubs now are willing to fight for fifth place or sixth place because they know that their domestic ranking will impact their participation into a European competition. Finishing fifth is much better than finishing sixth, whereas in the past, uh, being friendly uh, was sufficient. Now, it is also about being uh, successful on the court. And I think that is, is one of the key uh, elements of our competition and, and one that we have uh, uh, respected diligently. Yeah, Patrick, you mentioned at a press conference in Bologna earlier this season that the qualification rounds for next year will go from three rounds down to two rounds. Uh, this season, we had six of the 32 teams coming from the qualifiers, including Antwerp, one of the four final four teams and the host, of course. Uh, how will changing from three rounds to two rounds, how do you think that will, will impact uh, the teams going from the qualifiers into the regular season? And will, will there be a different number of teams that qualify through those qualification rounds? Okay. Um, our duty uh, is to constantly monitor and evaluate uh, our competition. Uh, and we try to find tweak uh, aspects that we believe we, will help it uh, and help our club. So um, we are sticking uh, to the main format uh, of four groups of eight teams. That does not change. We believe that this is uh, the right concept for, for our competition. But what we have seen over the last season is that the three qualification rounds that we had until now created a very tight schedule uh, with six games played over 12 days that created a number of concerns in terms of proper planning, uh, season preparation, and team readiness. So uh, respecting uh, our teams in that direction, we are now moving to just two qualification rounds in view of entering the regular season and a format where 24 teams will enter uh, directly into the regular season and eight teams will come through the qualification round. So this means fewer teams playing in the qualification rounds uh, again, always looking at uh, uh, selecting some of the best around Europe, but in view of also giving them the opportunity to play four games instead of six in order to qualify and to safeguard that we truly get the best of the best. So there's actually going to be eight coming through then. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. So it's 24 directly and eight through the qualification rounds. Okay. Um, any other changes uh, already already uh, uh, constituted already for next season or other changes being considered for next season? We are always considering um, aspects that we believe would improve uh, our competition. What we will have during the final four in Antwerp is a workshop with all clubs that have played the BCLV season. So all 32 clubs are invited to attend the workshop. We have already sent out questionnaires uh, to all the clubs. And what we do is we collect all the responses, we assess all the data, and then we have this meeting uh, on the weekend of the final four in order to evaluate all proposals concerning the next season. Then we take uh, all this data or all these proposals and we have the different uh, committees, in this case, the competition committee that might look at aspects that the clubs uh, require or demand or, or wish to discuss further. And then we have our board meeting on the 21st of June this year that will finalize uh, everything linked to next season, uh, including the calendar, including the details of the format, and including, of course, the access list and the, the clubs that will participate at each different stage of the competition. So a few more steps uh, in view of finalizing everything for next year but always in line with a very democratic process of including clubs, receiving their feedback, assessing their needs, and, uh, and then uh, proposing this at the various 
levels of decision-making and good governance within our competition. You've mentioned a couple of times during the interview the, quote, unique environment uh, that we have here in, in European basketball. Uh, you know, when, when you talk about pan-European competitions, of course, you have to mention EuroLeague and ECA, you know, the company that runs it and, and the Euro Cup. Um, how, how would you describe the relationship that, that the BCL has had with the ECA? And maybe how has that changed over the course of the three years existence of the, of the BCL? I think I think the relationship is one of the different entities organizing different competitions based on very different philosophies. Uh, our philosophy, as uh, it has been explained on, on various occasions, is one where uh, results on the court do matter and where uh, the national re- league rankings take priority over anything else uh, and giving the opportunity to as many clubs from as many countries to participate. So that's a philosophy that comes from uh, being part of the institution of FIBA, being part of the institution of basketball, hoping to grow the sport and hoping to be inclusive in within the pyramid uh, of sports. ECA has a very different uh, business philosophy. Uh, it is not necessarily right or wrong. It is just different. Uh, ECA has an approach uh, where the interests of the 11 shareholders need to be protected. Uh, and this is the priority. Sometimes these are in line with the overall interests uh, of basketball as we see it, and sometimes uh, they might not be, as for instance, when it comes to the overlaps with games uh, of the national teams. And this is a very different uh, philosophy. For us, obviously, there are certain uh, models and certain uh, principles that have to be respected, uh, and that's how we grow our philosophy, but we also understand that uh, from a Euroleague point of view, it's a very different philosophy. Uh, as far as we are concerned, we are addressing the needs of the hundreds of clubs all over Europe. That's what the institutional body is supposed to do. Euroleague has to protect the rights of just 11 clubs who are uh, their shareholders. So it, it's a bit of a different approach. Uh, sometimes, as I said, there are elements that uh, uh, make sense to both. And there, there are some instances where there are different philosophies that might impact uh, each other's strategy, which also creates uh, part of this uh, differentiation. But it is something that we have to live with. It is something that uh, we hope from our side to, to keep addressing because we believe that, that the basketball club environment has to be uh, better streamlined. I think, the, as I've said before, the market share that basketball right now benefits from is extremely, extremely limited. And uh, if something is not done about this, it is clear that uh, other sports like uh, handball or uh, like rugby or like uh, ice hockey will take some of this vital space that should belong to basketball as the number two sport in the world. Uh, And that's uh, as an institution and as the let's say, the, the International Federation of Basketball that has uh, to protect the overall interests of the sport. It's something that remains of a great concern. Yeah, so the Basketball Champions League, we're now wrapping up the third season of the competition. I know you said that it seems like a century ago that it started, uh, but looking ahead, you know, where do you see the league in another three years or in five years? What, what are the hopes for, for what the Basketball Champions League will become? Well, our hope uh, is always to continue growing. I think we have demonstrated this over the last uh, three seasons. I think uh, season one compared to season three is is a night and day almost in terms of, of everything that we're being able to offer to the clubs, everything that we're able to to demonstrate and, and grow from. Um, and this is our, our vision for the years to come, whether it is the next three or five years, we will continue to grow, we will continue to offer our clubs the best conditions. We, we hope to continue welcoming uh, clubs that uh, uh, have a long-term vision, but also deliver well at their domestic competition. So clubs like Bamberg or Bologna or Hapoel, these are clubs that uh, have inherently a good tradition in European basketball, but there is a, a prerequisite of them uh, performing well in their domestic uh, competitions over the long, the long period. So for us, nothing has changed. Uh, but we also hope that uh, we will impact 
the landscape of European club competitions and uh, through the different model that we offer, because I think that that's uh, a very important uh, aspect. We, we offer a very different model of European uh, club competitions, and we believe that this model will become more and more attractive uh, over the years to come. Clubs will realize that this environment, this level of competitiveness, the growth that we demonstrate, the promotion that we offer to our clubs, and the opportunity uh, to be inclusive, to tap into as many markets as possible into the European continent allows us to uh, uh, to grow and uh, and to offer to our clubs the best possible conditions for participating. Okay, to finish off, uh, we know you will be a neutral observer at the Final Four, and you might not want to give a prediction of who you think might win, uh, but maybe you can let us know what you will be watching for in Antwerp in a couple of weeks. Well, I think we have we have four... Uh, clubs that have performed extremely well throughout uh, the season. I think uh, uh, we have some very consistent uh, uh, performers. I think a club like Tenerife uh, has been probably the most consistent performer over the last three seasons. They were the winners the first season. They lost in the in the playoffs uh, somewhat unexpectedly last last year. And then again, they reached the final four this year. So they represent. Uh, without a question, the most competitive league uh, in Europe. The ACB is an extremely competitive league. So we know that this is a club that has a strong foundation. Uh, a lot of the players are coming back from uh, the first Final Four, which is quite rare in the world of basketball to have such a, a backbone that, that continues to be together over the next three years. So I think Tenerife brings this, this level of consistency and, and foundation. And then we have two newcomers into our competition, both Bamber and Bologna, who actually face each other uh, in the first semifinal. Uh, they, are, they are in their first season into the final four, but they represent uh, some of the biggest brands in, uh, in European basketball. Bologna is now re-emerging in the European context, but it is... Uh, the most titled uh, club uh, in Italy when it comes to domestic or international competitions. It is one of the very top. Uh, and then you have a club like Bamberg, who has been a, a regular participant into the EuroLeague uh, over the last seasons, uh, winning the German title a number of times over the last season. So they bring, if you want, a little bit uh, the the new element into the competition, but with a tremendous experience and history uh, behind them. And then, of course, we have uh, our own Cinderella story. A club, like you mentioned correctly, has started the season in the first qualification round, so also demonstrating that everything is possible in the Basketball Champions League. I think they, they are the team that will play with the least amount of nervousness. They have already surpassed their own expectations for the new season, so they are certainly there to enjoy it, uh, to host us, and uh, to provide their own fans with a great event. So, um, personally, I'm very, very much looking forward uh, to the Final Four. And as I said, it is a big bet for all of us at the, at the Basketball Champions League to be able to attract large crowds in the Sport Palace in an environment, again, that does not have perhaps the tradition of basketball, but it certainly has the expertise, the knowledge, and the desire to host top sporting events. All right, fantastic. What a great breakdown, uh, even of the Final Four. Uh, Patrick uh, Comninos, the CEO of the Basketball Champions League, thank you for taking so much time out of your certainly busy schedule and coming on the show. Thank you, my pleasure, and, and good luck with the rest of the season for all of us. All right, thanks again to Basketball Champions League CEO Patrick Cominos for joining us on this week's podcast. Uh, Dave, there was a lot of interesting stuff there. You know, anytime you start a sports league from scratch, uh, there's going to be some, it's going to be an interesting ride, uh, no doubt about that. So it was cool hearing what Patrick had to say about, you know, kind of the origins of the BCL, what some of the core values are, what he expects uh, from the Final Four coming up in Antwerp. What, what jumped out to you from what he said there? You know, just the, just trying to imagine what, you know, what he and the whole team had to go through from the very beginning, uh, with, um, the unique environment, as he mentioned, you know, with, uh, 
with with leagues already existing. You know, the the FIBA Europe Cup was also already there in addition to the EuroLeague and Euro Cup and uh you know just the fact that they had to kind of go through go through that and 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 go through the process of trying to calm concerns and and raise raise expectations and and uh raise hopes and and uh you know not definitely not easy situation to go into um but i i think that you know it's i think it's when you, whenever you do start something new you you also have a chance to evaluate pretty quick um what's working what's not working and and then to kind of change it up you know you're not uh, it's not set in stone whereas it, like uh, you know if you take over a, a league that's existed for 40 years uh if you come in and and you don't have a lot of um you don't have a lot of leeway to 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 make big changes whereas something you know new uh, like this, you can really kind of go in and, and, and change something if you recognize right away that it doesn't work. Um, you know, the fact, just the fact that they went in and, you know, said, you know, these, some, you know, these teams have to go through three qualifying, some of the teams have to go through three qualifying rounds in, you know, a span of two weeks. It's a lot of basketball. And, uh, you know, now the fact that you have eight teams coming from the, the qualifying rounds instead of six, that just uh, increases the 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 importance uh, of the of the qualifying rounds. Um, so you're gonna uh, and 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 also the 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 willingness to to get into that into that qualifying uh, rounds. Um, so yeah, there was a lot in there, and uh, you know I also like you know that that the you mentioned also that teams are fighting now for fifth place because that means a spot now in the basketball champions league for example so i you know there was a, there was a lot in there what what were some of your big takeaways yeah i think that last point you made is a good one about teams in their domestic league fighting uh you know for fighting for fifth place trying to get up in the in the league standings where you know maybe they would look at the top and say all right we don't have a chance to win this thing like you know what do we have to play for for the rest of the year now they have something to play for you know they in their domestic leagues uh so i think i think the champions league has really strengthened european basketball as a whole in that regard and of course just you know the league uh the rise over the past 3 years has been pretty incredible to watch from where they started a year ago or from where they started 2 years ago of course it was a solid year with tenerife lifting the cup uh but now you've got just so many more traditionally powerhouse teams in there with bologna with bamberg uh, Hapoel Jerusalem coming into the competition with some great recent history and, uh, and just really added to the overall depth of the league. And then just the talent at the top is incredible. You know, we were mentioning the star lineups, how many great players there are. Uh, the, the teams like the quarterfinals and the round of 16 were amazing. The teams that do survive through the regular season and get to the playoffs are always really good teams. And then the quarterfinals, like you mentioned, that's going to be interesting to watch next year because Antwerp has kind of laid out the blueprint for all of these teams in the quarterfinals. You know, it's definitely possible to come up through the quarterfinals and qualify for the playoffs and even reach the final four, maybe even win this thing. Uh, so Antwerp kind of, uh, showing everyone else the path for some of these teams. Um, you know, he mentioned, inclusivity was a big thing for them, uh, you know, being inclusive and, and getting all of these teams from all these countries around Europe, because there are so many clubs in so many countries, and, and they deserve a chance at the spotlight. Uh, so I thought that was really cool. And yeah, Antwerp is, is showing that it's possible to be one of these, um, you know, one of these clubs that's maybe a little bit less known in Europe, isn't traditionally a powerhouse, but you can create some history in the Basketball Champions League uh, if you are lucky enough to make it and win some games. So a lot of great things there from Patrick Cominos. Uh, Dave, we've still got about two weeks until the final four. We've got a couple podcasts coming up for you guys in between though. Next week, uh, we're hoping to have a special guest come on and help us break down some of the final four teams from kind of a scouting and coaching perspective. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, any any final words, Dave? Uh, before we wrap this up, yeah, you know, I really haven't uh, gone in and 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 uh, broken down the final four matchups, so maybe I'll just wait for next week's podcast before <laughs> before I do my work and see if some of my work can be done for me ahead of time. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, just you know, it, uh, 
making you know just checking to see what these teams do in the domestic leagues and and again like i said uh you know already last week you just hope that everybody uh, everybody stays healthy on these on these teams. Yeah, absolutely. Health is going to be crucial for all of these teams as they prepare for the 2019 Basketball Champions League Final Four in Antwerp, Belgium. Make sure you go check out the official website, championsleague.basketball, to help you get ready for the Final Four. Right now on the site, Deacon Lloyd-Smith has a closer look at Tenerife. It's called The Return of the Kings. Uh, some really great stuff there from Deacon on the original Basketball Champions League champions who are looking to lift the trophy for the second time in three years. So go check that out. Make sure you download the official Champions League app, subscribe to livebasketball.tv, and check out the Champions League official Twitter and YouTube and Instagram pages for all of the highlights and everything you need to get you ready for the Final Four and look back on a great 2018-19 season. Make sure you also go vote for the star lineups. Uh, pick your two guards, your two forwards, and your center. The center voting will be up on Sunday, so you can go fill out your votes for the star lineups and have a say in that. That's going to do it for this week's podcast. Thanks again to our guest, Basketball Champions League CEO Patrick Cominos. For Dave Hine over in Germany, my name is Austin Green, and this has been BCL Coast to Coast. Coast to Coast.